Hello and welcome to Conscious Conversations with One Breath Institute with your hosts, Lisa McNett and Debbie Sherman. Tune in for mind-blowing conversations on how to be more conscious and present in your life. Topics we cover include healing, spirituality, introspective breathwork, astrology, dreams, alternate states of consciousness, and so much more. Hear from us and our interesting guests. Make sure to follow and subscribe to easily find us and listen again. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Conscious Conversations with One Breath Institute. I am one of your hosts and the founder of One Breath Institute, Lisa McNett, and we have also Debbie Sherman, co-host and co-founder of One Breath Institute. Hello, Debbie. Hey, Lisa. I love our intro still to this day. It just gets me right in the in the in the groove in the vibe to just talk about some conscious conversations. And today, oh, just inviting everyone and myself and Lisa as well. Today, we are talking about the power of sobriety. And also speaking to what can and may happen to the physical aspect of a person when under the influence and maybe whatever else comes up for that. So where shall we begin, Lisa? Any thoughts, any initial, yeah, things that are coming to you when talking about the power of sobriety? Well, it feels, you know, for, for you and I, it feels obvious, but what is sobriety? Let's define that. Let's define what is sobriety. Okay. <laughs> Debbie's muted. So she's like, go ahead, define sobriety. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, sobriety would be an absence an absence of the influence of really anything that is a consciousness altering substance, right? So anything that is consciousness altering, we, we hear the word a lot, mind altering substances, but really consciousness altering substances. So Debbie and I talk about coffee, right? Like sometimes I, I go back and forth. Coffee is like one of these things. I never drank coffee when I was younger. I, it's coffee isn't something that I got addicted to. Um, I was addicted to other things when I was younger, but I was never big on coffee and I really love coffee, but it's not an everyday thing. Um, and I struggle with this because coffee alters our consciousness. It makes us fast paced. It makes us jittery. So what else does that, right? Definitely alcohol, definitely marijuana, um, definitely um, plant medicines that we talk about, there are over-the-counter medications that alter our consciousness, right? You could take an allergy pill um, that could gonk, gonk you out or make it, a lot of these pills say, you know, don't drive under the influence of this. So there, that's, yeah, that's really, there's a lot that can fall under this uh, category. Anything else, Debbie? Well, for those who are listening, 
I'm sure they are already categorizing what is acceptable for them and what is not acceptable for them. And really when Lisa and I use the word sobriety, we are just holding a stance of clear consciousness. If you are in clear consciousness, you are in clear, you are in sobriety. And so really this is reflecting some inner trauma or belief systems that those who are listening may have around what is okay for whatever reasons, maybe what is justified, what is too much, what's socially acceptable, right? And what what is not. And then also, I'm sure that this is already prompting questions in real life scenarios of when maybe a listener engages in alcohol and that's okay, but a a person in recovery or someone who is no longer under the influence of chronic use of alcohol, right? Maybe they've had 10, 20, 30 years. If they drink it, it's not acceptable for them. And I'm just speaking to I'm just speaking to that these are all just symptoms of an underlying yeah, ickiness, an underlying trauma use. When you when you spoke of caffeine, I was like, why do I still hold on to caffeine every once in a while? And I know what it is. It brings me back to the moment of sharing energy with my mother over the over the morning table. It brings me back to a moment of pure connection or of connection of love with my mother. And so that is a piece that I hold on to and feel every time I drink coffee. Right. So so really these substances. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just going to pause for a second because I'm going all over in my mind and my head and I'm just going to pause for reflection, Lisa. Yeah, and I don't I didn't. um, I didn't necessarily mean to bring in the coffee piece, the coffee discussion, Um, but I'm glad that I did because because it does. It's like all of these other layers like we I believe, um, we believe that, uh, well, there are spiritual consequences to certain things. There are spiritual consequences specifically to alcohol, taking alcohol into the body and spiritual uh, consequences to taking other substances into the body as well. And so in order to be a clear and clean space holder, right, which is what we do and is which is which is what we train our facilitators to do, um, it necessitates a level of sobriety that is more of a commitment than a lot of people are willing to take. And um, yeah, and for us, we I think that we both want that level of commitment to be at the not even any coffee, right? And so we play with this idea in our mind of like, is coffee really that bad? And coffee, like it smells so good and it's a ritual and it brings me these memories of, for you, it's connecting with your mom. And for me, I don't really, I don't really understand, but I have this obsession with sitting in coffee shops by myself, 
with a warm coffee drink and just observing people and writing in my journal. That is that is that personal that's like my personal little thing. I have these little quirky things that like I, I hide. <laughs> like we all have our little, this is me, I hide it thing. <laughs> and that's me. I like hide in the coffee shop. Nobody has to know where I am, but that can be replaced with tea. So it's something about the smell. It's something about the sensation. It's something about the sneakiness of it too, right? And when we put look at addiction, addiction generally involves a sneakiness to it, right? And normally it's somebody might be sneaking shopping, right? Shopping for, you know, oh my gosh, my partner can't know how much money I just spent on new shoes or new clothes, or it's like sneaking off to the bar or sneaking off for the drug or for the hit, right? Because those are, there's that sneakiness that comes with, um, with, with, with whatever that is, right? Like, <laughs> like something about that that I'm speaking to. Well, you asked the question, is coffee that bad? Or I don't know how you phrased it, but that's how I received it. And my immediate answer was, yes, it is. And I know this to be true in my body because of my evolution of getting to know my physical body, moving with my trauma responses, how my emotional aspect of myself would have addictive dieting behaviors or substance abuse in the past, right? Like the evolution of being free from that, being unburdened from those reactive unconscious and then spiraling intention, right? Yeah, now I'm in a place where, yeah, I can feel that coffee. I can feel coffee on all levels, beating in my heart, changing the saliva in my mouth. I can feel it moving in my stomach. And sometimes, and actually, if I was on, fully honest with myself, it's not a pleasant sensation. And then it moves through my intestines. And then I'm no longer in control of my bowel movements. I have to go. Right. And so, so yeah, there's so much, um, so much feeling and sensations that come with this path of sobriety. And I know it's not made for, well, I feel it is made for everyone, but it's a level of commitment that, like you said, people may not be ready for because it doesn't mean that I don't feel. It just means that I'm sitting with the feelings. And I'm honoring and tending myself, tending to myself in the process and in relationship to whatever is triggered. Whereas beforehand, right, I wouldn't sit with that. I would run as fast as I could. I would probably jump out. I wanted, I did. I jumped out of my body, right, with whatever substances I was using. And those were my choices, and then adding on the level and layers of, you know, parents drinking, siblings using alcohol, the generational trauma of meth and heroin in my family, right? And so I got to see at an early age what not to do, but I did end up doing it, yeah. Well, isn't that the thing? Isn't that the thing? I mean, yeah, I growing up in my household, I was like, I am 
never drinking alcohol. I am never doing any drugs because I am not going to be like these people. And what happened and what happens? And, and, and I go back and I'm like, how, how exactly did that happen? You know, and there's, and there's, a, there's, there's, there's one of two answers that I have. And one answer is when I was, when I was, when my grandmother passed away, I was young. I was nine, nine or 10. I might've been 10. Anyway, my dad gave me whiskey, right? It was like, drink it, drink it. And it was horrible, tasted horrible. And I remember I was like, I see birds, you know, and my dad was ha ha ha, that was so funny. But so the question is, did that taste, right? Did that initial thing that was forced create uh, something in my body that I then sought it out? Or was it something else? And as I'm speaking with you, I, I haven't really explored this vocally before, but as I'm speaking with you, no, it was the something else. It was being moved out to the middle of nowhere in the country where I didn't have any friends. And when I started making friends, that's what they all did. And so I did that to have friends, right? I sought that out to have friends. And so that really comes to, not that that is socially acceptable, but we, drinking really is socially acceptable. Uh, and, and drunk teenagers is really part of what you do, right? In some ways that is socially acceptable. Like kids are gonna drink in high school and, you know, yeah. Ah, so messed up. Yeah, and wow, so taking a breath, mm -hmm. just letting that sink in. And as you were speaking, I'm like getting flashes of my life. And like, when did my addictive behavior start? And it, we know that addictive behaviors start from stemming and seeding, seeking connection. My addictive behaviors were shown to me alcohol, cigarettes, PCP. Like how did, how did I was on PCP in high school? Whoa. Okay. Cocaine. Whoa. 13. What? Let's have a, yeah, taking a breath with that. Cause that was the reality of my life, right? Like there was so much disconnect. I'll say disconnect because, because it doesn't always have to equal suffering. It could equal longing. It could be, um, yeah, grieving in some way. Right. And I do view grieving to be separate from suffering in my embodied experiences, but it's that seeking to connect and a way to seek to connect. I was taught through my family, through my peers, that this is the means that you do it. You can't connect consciously because you're not good enough the way you are. You're going to get bullied. You're going to be picked on. You're not going to be loved. You're not going to be liked. So you might as well get drunk and 
be wild and be what people can talk about, or you might as well do this drug to disconnect even more with all of those uncomfortable anxiety sensations, the pressure of connecting. When everyone really just wanted to connect, they wanted to connect authentically, receive and give love, they wanted to have fun, right? Like why did every fun experience growing up have to have some type of substance with it. So then another layer to that is we're teaching generationally, globally, that in order to connect, in order to have fun, in order to feel loved, be received loved, you can't be yourself and you have to actually go and engage in all these things. And then we put limitations and, and boundaries around that because we all know it's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for us to any extent, period. And I'm thinking of Red Bull right now. Like, I remember, I know, gross. Gosh, I could I never was... drink Red Bull. Like, I tried it like once and I thought I was going to die. Like, my heart was literally like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. But I want to speak to energy drinks, though, too, because that's addictive, right? And, and these companies, right, they're sly, they're slick. They're slick. They're like, just have this Red Bull, this five-hour energy drink, whatever those are, right? You're up and alive and you're going to push, push, push yourself until your body reaches capacity and has a heart attack. You know, because what are we doing when we engage in conscious altering substances? We are separating ourselves from the physical vessel in which our spirit lives in. So why? Why is it pushed? I know why. You know why, but I don't think everybody else knows why. Why is addiction pushed? Why are drugs pushed? Why is numbing agencies, right? Because it's just conscious altering. So muscle relaxers. Yeah, and you know, you, I want to leave that question hanging right? Why are these things pushed? And you mentioned, um, you know, the concept of connecting through substances because you are not good enough. And it's really, in my mind, yes, and yes, that's true. And that idea of you are not good enough, or you are not enough, or you are too much, or you are just whatever, not perfect, just the way you are stems so much earlier and we just start to feel the pain of it more as we as we move into our you know adolescent years our you know our youth like i remember when i first started understanding and the other kids around me as well first started understanding that they were rich and i was poor right because up until that point we all played everything was fine we didn't know anything different and then one day like i remember when that shift happened not the exact day but i remember that timeline that time frame of when all of a sudden i am perceived differently we don't interact in the same way because now i'm not good enough right because 
I am poor and you are rich. And so, and, and then there's more, right? There's more that comes kids, you know, yeah. Kids are kids are bah. all of the dynamics and we start to feel the pain more and more and more. And, you know, we might be numbed, we might be medicated early on because we have ADD or depression or a whole plethora of things. And now it's just more regular for kids at a young age to be numbed. But once you hit those, you know, adolescent, teenage years, and even adult years, now it's totally socially acceptable to drink. I also just wanted to throw in there, um, because you mentioned, you know, early, early diagnoses and medication of children, this is also including birth control. What is that? It is control over hormones. So, yeah, yeah, there's just so much coming up, right? Because we know studying trauma, being trauma educated, like we know it, it doesn't really start with us, like the lies and the disconnect, it starts way back when. And ultimately, when one is engaging in conscious altering substances, a question to ask is, what am I seeking right now? Because if I'm at a bar with my friends and I'm unable to, or I feel nerves or I feel sensations just being there, so I choose to mask those to make it easier to connect with others, are you really connecting? That's just an example. Yeah. And even though it doesn't start with us, you know, you mentioned that, you know, and I know we know that it doesn't start with us, but it lives in our body. So we mm -hmm. are carrying, we are carrying all of the unresolved tension, stress, trauma from our ancestors, from our family lineage, from our peers in addition to our own personal, and that's all in our body. And even though it doesn't start with us, it can end with us. It really can end with us. Uh, and, you know, at least end forever with our own experience, maybe not end the whole um, cultural issue, but if enough of us stand in our power and stand in our healing and stand in sobriety, then we do change it. We do change it culturally and we do change it generationally because if we're not going to go to the bar, then the bar isn't there anymore, right? Like what we, what we, are, what we are choosing to interact with and engage with and to put into our bodies is what will be perpetuated in society. Yeah, and I guess we've barely been speaking to one aspect of addiction, which is that like connecting piece. And another aspect of it, which there are so many, but another aspect that I see very frequently is the disconnect from the pain in their body. 
So this is why mental approach to addictions, they don't work. Actually, mental only mental approaches to any type of integrating of trauma and empowering healing and sovereignty just doesn't work because it lives in the body. And so I'm thinking of some family members of mine who have experienced, who experience loss and pain, abuse, neglect. And, and yeah, that other aspect that I want to bring in is being that example. If we are the example of sobriety and maintaining, staying with the discomfort, embracing it fully, then we can set the example for others and reflect that as being safe for them. We can hold that space for them. So whenever they're trying to crawl out of their skin because they don't feel safe because they can't stop the memories because of whatever it is, they don't have to escape. They can just connect and move and go with it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really the importance and the power of the sober healer, right? Like, it, it's really interesting. There's uh, healing from addiction is, I don't even know how many billions of dollars of, billions of dollars of business that it really is. And there's a lot of different layers and ways uh, of healing from that addiction. And and rehabilitation. But, you know, you mentioned that mental piece, that mental aspect. But regardless of what it is, whether it's, you know, a mental health counselor, or a um, someone administering a another type of narcotic, we were talking about methadone and suboxone, how that is another type of narcotic that is utilized to help somebody get off of something maybe harder and heavier and worse. But what is the consciousness of the person holding that space? Because this is an aspect of healing that, um, that I think is really not spoken about enough. And it's something that we focus on and it's something that's really important. It's the consciousness, the energetic piece of the space holder. So we look at this billion dollar industry of healing addiction, but such a teeny tiny percentage of people actually heal and overcome that addiction. A tiny population of people can actually overcome that addiction. And I personally believe, I personally, this is my belief, that that is in part because people who are holding that space are also holding the frequency of addiction. Yes. Mm, Just speaking to how activated I am, I'm thinking of a just one of the many friends that I've lost to addiction and something that he said coming back from his third time in rehab in Florida, right? Was how it was just such a joke. Like those who are addicted to something and go to rehab, they know that they can just get whatever they want and get something else. 
depending upon the rehabilitation center, I'm sure, and the approach, of course. And it's kind of like, yeah, he was, I remember him speaking to what you're saying now, right? Holding that frequency. He recognized that those people were suffering also, that they were also taking something to mask, to dim, to disassociate, disconnect. And he recognized that. And I fully believe that because he did not see something else, and I was too young at the time, right? But he did not see something else. I really believe that that contributed to the loss of his life. So coming back to, yeah, holding this frequency, this safe, sacred place of sobriety, because what really that looks like is feeling through and seeing all that is there. And it's not masked. It's not filtered. It's not shifted from consciousness. It is present. That is what more people need is that presence and that firmness and grounding and being connected in that presence. So there was a question that I asked early on and it left me, but we were going to talk about, yeah, what can really happen to the physical body when under the influence. And so I'm not, not sure if that's going to come through now, but it just hit me because I was reliving an experience. And so I just uh, spoke to that. You did ask the question <laughs> and um, I don't, yeah, there was a question that we just left out there, but um, are you speaking of, you know, the spiritual consequences of, of alcohol on the body or the spiritual consequences of addiction? I'm wanting to speak to that. Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's important because I, uh, you know, as I've connected with more and more and more people within our school and our community, it's almost as if everyone knows. They see, they see the shift in someone when they're under the influence, right? They just became someone else. I don't know. Here, they not only see it, but they can feel it, right? And it, be an experience that maybe even a listener has had where they've been under the influence of something and felt like they became something else, something foreign, and that is still present with them, right? So these are little snippets of a very deep truth. I'm just holding that space a little bit because I know people who are listening can connect with what I'm saying. They've seen it, they've felt it, Maybe they've recognized it and maybe a friend or a family member who have lost themselves. Yeah, well, there's a reason that they're called spirits. There's a reason that alcohol is called spirits. There's a reason that alcohol is called spirits. And and there's, yeah, there's a few different directions we could go in this. And I'm, I'm hanging on to something else <laughs> that you spoke to. I'm really Bring it on, on in. Something Bring it else on that in. you spoke to. But, but um, we can come back to this. But we are open. You know, there are, there are 
speaking of frequencies, there are entities. There are non-positive entities that exist. And when we are not fully present and not fully inhabiting our body, then there is a doorway open for something else to come in. And that's what, you know, that's what you're speaking to. We're open for something else to come in. And, and that frequency that, you know, that alcohol, I mean, really, a lot of these things are lower vibrational, lower vibrational and opening a doorway for a lower vibrational frequency entity to come in and to attach. Attach, take over, confuse, be invasive in thought patterns. You know, so I'm mentioning that because some people hear other thoughts in their head. They hear other voices in their head. Oftentimes, those are stories from, yeah, past trauma. No, you can't jump on the trampoline. You're going to break your foot or whatever it is, right? And then there's the other waves in the thoughts where it might feel a little darker, a little bit more like, ooh, cringy. That's what we're also speaking to. No, you are not invincible to it. It's just part of everyday human experience. And, and with that, it's also not the end of the world if you encounter those and have those experiences. But coming back to why sobriety is so important especially when one is holding space for another's integration of trauma and why especially in breath work when people are going up and down in and out of so many different states of consciousness just by using the power of their breath why it is so important to be a sober anchor to the earth yes 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 Yes. So I want to, I will keep that and coming back to, oh, it just blew out of my head. I was like thinking about that sober anchor to the earth, you know, coming back to the piece of your friend who is no longer here, who went through rehab. I think you said three times, three different experiences in rehab and was able to like, no, right? Like, no, that person's using this, that person's using that, this person's not present. You know, what? for those who may not know, if you haven't heard us speak about this before, or, or just to reiterate it, right, the fishbowl of trauma, trauma is really at the root of all or most addiction, right? Trauma is our body's response, right? It's not something necessarily that happens to us, but it's our body's response. And trauma, and I would say stress. Trauma and stress are slightly different in characteristic, and trauma and stress can both be contributors to addiction. But essentially, somebody who is strongly addicted or heavily addicted, and let's say 
to um, to the degree that they are going to end up in rehab, right? Uh, so that means they have a severe alcohol problem or a severe um, drug problem or gambling or sex abuse, right? Like something that is really harmful, very much self-harming, very much self-harming and destroying their life and their, just destroying their life and their family dynamics and all of that. A hundred percent of the time there's trauma at the root. There's developmental trauma, childhood trauma, or some sort of major shock trauma like a rape. And when a child, when a child is a baby, right? When we are born and we are born into uh, an environment where uh, our caregiver or caregivers are unable to regulate their nervous systems, unable to connect, something that can happen is the strong development of psychic senses, right? Like the baby needs to develop certain senses in order to be able to survive, right? Because if our human isn't naturally goo goo gaga all over us, making sure all of our needs are met, how are we going to get those needs met? So we have to learn how to read the human's emotions, know what they're feeling, know what they're thinking, know how to keep ourselves safe. And that comes with, I'm calling it psychic senses, deep intuition, sixth sense. And this can apply to certain things, but maybe not other things, right? So it might mean that I'm highly intuitive when it comes to knowing how other people are feeling, be able, being able to read in the room who's got the heroin, who's got the pot, you know, who's got the pills, where's the exit, where's the cops, because I want to stay away from them, right? But maybe less attuned to healing frequencies, healing vibrations, those things that are positive to me. So I'm not going to trust my intuition. Something that is loving and open isn't going to feel right. Um, so I'm saying all of this because, and then especially when you grow up and you grow into these addictions, you know what it looks like, you know what it sounds like, you know what to feel like, right? Like we think that we, when we are calling somebody else out for their shortcomings, we are calling ourselves out for our shortcomings because that is the only way that we can identify somebody else's, sh yeah, the only way, really. <laughs> I mean, we have to be able to recognize it, right? We, we're going to call the blue table the blue table. We're not going to call it a red table because we've never seen one. <laughs> Just keep this red blue table thing going. <laughs> so we can overcome it, right? Like I can overcome my perfectionism. So I'm no longer an OCD perfectionist, but I can still identify it in another person, right? I can still every now and then have it come up. And, and I'm like, the shirts are wrinkled. And Debbie's like, do, do we need to do something? Because the shirts are, I'm like, no, because the shirts are fine. I'm just having a bit of a, it's not perfect moment. And I need to let this sink. So what I'm trying to say is, of course, a person who is in rehab or is who strongly who is strongly addicted is going to read right the F through the person who is holding space for them. And if that person is not in integrity with 
sobriety. You're like, why am I listening to this person? Why am I listening to this person? That's funny, huh? Right? Like this concept of don't BS the BSer, right? Like that that filters into every aspect, right? Especially when you've lived it. When you've experienced it, when you know it, you can see it. But speaking see right so yeah the trauma the fishbowl trauma we live in a fishbowl of trauma we attune we attune to things and that doesn't mean that attunement is truly safe it just means it's familiar and i've learned how to navigate safety around that familiarity familiarity yeah it's funny because i was combining the word family with familiar so that's where we get it from. So what else would like to be said about the power of sobriety? Well, I want to say, because I mentioned it earlier, and my evolution of sobriety and feeling it, I will say it was a completely separate process in my mind versus my physical body. They had their own timelines. They still have their own timelines sometimes when it comes to certain addictive old behaviors and patterns and reactions, right? Um, and, and how sensitive this vessel really is. And I remember it as a kid, how sensitive it is. And it's interesting how I've kind of come almost full circle with that sensitivity, at least of what I remember it to be. And, um, yeah, so, hmm, that's all I want to say about that. You become more human. Like, being human is connected. Being human is sensitive. Being human has a whole bunch of feelings. It's a life experience to be human not a numbing one. It can be. Yeah. So being mindful of our time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a breath. Yeah, because you mentioned that sensitivity and yeah, we bought into the lie, didn't we? Like as a collective society, we bought into the idea. I, you know, I appreciate it. I said this the other day in class. I was like, we all agreed. And one of our students was like, I didn't agree. And I was like, well, you're right. <laughs> that happened a long time ago. But, but I think this one concept, I think most of us, a large percentage of us universally bought into the idea 
that being sensitive was bad, right? Like, like even there's a whole um, self-help section on being a highly sensitive person, on being highly empathic, right? Yeah, I'm too sensitive. Like even our, you know, myself, I've said it, our students, I'm too sensitive. And it's like, no, we are meant to be sensitive beings. And all of the stuff that goes on is not what is meant to be happening. All of the violent like we live in a very violent world and that is not like that's not the norm and we flipped it we have inverted what is acceptable and what is right so thank you for bringing that piece in this may be a continuation into another one because it's always how we connect it's always like moving on but the word sensitive does not only mean emotional emotional what i mean by sensitivity i mean that i can feel the trees breathe i can feel lisa and i we were talking about this the other day or all the time I can feel the weather coming. I don't just have to have an accident in my knee, a metal plate to justify that I feel the weather change. I know when something's happening and shifting with the stars because I'm in tune with the senses, sensitivity, senses of my existence. I can feel a wave. I can feel a car crash happening soon. Right, both awakened and in sleep world. This is sensitivity. This is communicating with animals. This is connecting with the innate gifts of being human, connected to the earth, breathing, vibrating with life around us. This is sensitivity. Yes, and if we all, right, if we flip it back to the way it's supposed to be, and we all, connect with and strive to be connected with our sensitivities, our senses, our sensations, we wouldn't, we just wouldn't, period, right? Like we wouldn't, we wouldn't treat each other or the world or the animals or anything with violence and disrespect and we wouldn't need to numb out we wouldn't be seeking escape <laughs> okay let's take a breath it's probably a lot for our listeners to digest so Share your comments, share your thoughts, share your questions, and share what you would like to hear us speak more about. And uh, if there's nothing else, I think we'll just close out.
Let's take a breath together. All right, we'll see you next time. If you're hearing this message, you've listened to this episode all the way to the end. And for that, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We want to hear from you. Reach out and let us know what you thought of this podcast. And please like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends.